This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Mocker. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Alicia Nelson has been a violist with the Cleveland Orchestra for more than 20 years. I talked with her recently about their new recording, which happened to be the first time that they've recorded the music of George Walker. She said, to be a black violist in a major orchestra and to be able to have an African-American tell their story through their words and their music, that's been incredibly meaningful for her. You'll hear her tell her story this week on new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. I'm talking with Alicia Nelson, who is a violist with the Cleveland Orchestra. And Alicia, you have been with this orchestra now since about 2000, is that right? Yes, I started in August of 2000. That's a long time to be with an orchestra. What do you appreciate the most about being with the Cleveland Orchestra and performing with them? Well, I think you you probably hear lots of people say it's like a big chamber music group. Uh, I appreciate how people listen and it's uh, it's about um, attention to detail. And uh, I, that's the thing to me that really brings music to life is, you know, finding those really beautiful inner voices, inner lines that sparkle. And uh, that's what I love most about the orchestra and working with it. And being a violist, of course, you're an important part of those inner voices. <laughs> exactly. It's what makes music music. <laughs> but I'm biased. As a young violinist, you were a member of the Cleveland Orchestra Youth Orchestra. And back then, I'm curious, do you remember what your professional goals were? I mean, were you hoping someday you might be in the Cleveland Orchestra? That seemed so distant and so far off. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just know I wanted to play really well. So um, my focus was always sort of more technical, sort of that of a violin jock. Uh, that's really what my goal was, just to be as the best that I could be. And it's kind of funny that I ended up becoming a violist because, you know, usually when people think, you know, of technique and whatnot, you, you're going to stay a violinist. But um, it kind of happened during my Fulbright year when I was in London at the Royal Academy of Music. I just started, um, you know, I had a really wonderful teacher, Hungarian teacher, Georgia Pauk, and he just sort of started me thinking a different way, and I, I just started listening differently. And when I returned to the United States, I just started dabbling with viola a bit, and that's kind of how I became a violist was just listening differently. Hearing how long you've been in Cleveland, one might think you grew up there, but you actually were raised in North Pole, Alaska, <laughs> yes. which is kind of unusual. I mean, that's the last place where your dad was stationed while he was in the Air Force. How did you go from North Pole, Alaska to Cleveland? Luck. Uh, <laughs> I was, um, well, kind of a... a a longer story. My mother was tired of fighting with me practicing. 
So when I was 11, she started sending me to summer music camps. And the first one was in Indiana, the Indiana uh, uh, String Academy. And then I bounced around at other places. I went to Aspen and I went to a place in uh, North Carolina. And it was there where I met the director of admissions for, for that music festival. And she said, oh, you know, I think the Cleveland Institute of Music is starting this new program called the Young Artist Program. Let me reach out. And then before I was able to talk to my parents and say, hey, you'll be getting a phone call, my parents called me and say, what is this Young Artist Program thing? And they say they want you to be there. What's happening? What's going on? <laughs> and um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in Cleveland um, at, at age 16. Now, at least, I don't know if this is still true, but at the time that you got the gig with the Cleveland Orchestra, that was one of the first times that one of the young members of the Cleveland Orchestra Youth Orchestra actually had made it into the full professional Cleveland Orchestra. Is that Was that yeah. unusual, or is that still unusual? I am the first, I think, of five now we have, which I find phenomenal. It just shows how um, useful and helpful and imperative that youth orchestra is. It's, I think, one of the great things that the Cleveland Orchestra uh, supports and maintains in the community. I had also read that when you earned your bachelor's degree and then your master's from the Cleveland Institute of Music that you had studied with Robert Vernon, who was principal viola at the time with the Cleveland Orchestra. And I thought he was somebody who also encouraged you to consider viola from violin. <laughs> I was a violin teaching assistant for my former teachers, uh, Linda Cerrone and David Russell at Encore School for Strings. And, you know, that's sort of when I was starting to dabble with viola. And I said, yeah, you know, I know you always need violists. Put me in the kitty groups where with beginners because I can't read the clef. And so I ended up playing Shostakovich Eighth uh, <laughs> Quartet and the Barber Quartet, which are not kitty group kind of things. And it it was fun. It was yeah, I, I loved it, and he heard about that, and so I played for him, and he sort of, he he definitely suggested, you know, come study with me. And so I did. <laughs> well, let's dive into this new recording with the Cleveland Orchestra, which celebrates the music of American composer George Walker. Did you know him personally? I did. I had the pleasure of meeting him a few times, and he asked me to record his viola sonata. And, um, gee, that, that recording, oh, that's been quite a few years. But luckily, before he passed away, I was able to, uh, to speak with him about the music, have some questions answered, and he was able to listen to sort of the proof of that recording and get his blessing, so to speak. But yeah, um, he's one of my musical icons. I so respect him in so many ways. I think that, well, he's just brilliant to begin with. He was probably a child prodigy, uh, graduated from 
high school, you know, when he was 14 and started college, when he's 14, uh, you know, got into Curtis. Uh, that came after he graduated from Oberlin. Just a, a, an incredibly brilliant, brilliant mind. And his music, I find it, uh, it's thorny. But there's a lot of beauty, I find, in it as well. And just very academic in a way, and very serious. I think just as a human being, just he was a very serious kind of person. And he wasn't one to, you know, joke around and try to make people feel good or, you know, pacify people. He just said things as they were, as he saw them. And that was that. And that, that, that's just him. And his music, to me, reflects that as well. There's a lot of brilliance, a lot of thought that goes into his compositions. It's interesting because when I started to really dive into George Walker for this conversation— I had forgotten that he really wanted to be a concert pianist, but he met with a lot of resistance. Do you know anything about that, the challenges that he faced in that part of what he had hoped to be a career for him? Yeah, uh, most of what I I know, it's a bit from, that I've heard from his sister, who's also passed away, um, but also from his autobiography, which is a really wonderful and quite candid <laughs> um, read of, you know, his experience as a Black classical composer and musician. It, yes, um, of course, you know, he was born in 1922. And, you know, there, it's segregation. It's just plain racism that he he met with. You know, when he was at Curtis, he had chops, just like all of the other uh, pianists who came out, you know, who were soloists at the time that he was. But he just could not break through that that racial caste system that that we have here. And, you know, I think he, he did what m- many other Black musicians did. He went to Europe, but he had to return. He had some health issues, and upon his return, his father suggested, why don't you why don't you look into teaching? And that's sort of how he uh, went into academia and and became a teacher that way. But yeah, I mean, he auditioned for Columbia artists twice, I believe, and he was rejected. And um, it was the National Concert Artist in 1950. He got a contract from Richard Leach. And, you know, Richard Leach told him, you know, he expected to have difficulty in selling a Black classical pianist. So what what do you do with that? <laughs> when your management tells you, oh, I'm going to have problems selling you, there's just nothing you can do. Um, it's interesting, too. He died in 2018. He lived to be 96. He won a Pulitzer Prize for the piece Lilacs, which appears on this recording. That was in 1996, and even then, it was still difficult for him to get any traction with respect to getting commissions or getting his music performed. Um, 
which seems so heartbreaking to me. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, that's something he he wrote about too. How that winning that prize kind of didn't do anything for him. That year, he won. No major orchestra in this country offered to play the piece or any piece that he wrote. Basically, it was youth orchestras and, you know, smaller community orchestras that played his music. That shows a lot, I think. And 1996 isn't that far away. (laughs) You know, that's not that far in history. What does it mean to you, Alicia, to be able to record his music now with the Cleveland Orchestra? Uh, Well, like I said, he is a musical icon for me. I really look up to him as a human being, as just being a wonderful American composer. Having known him, I feel honored that I got to meet him. And I, you know, I've played a little bit with his son Gregory, and I know it's wonderful that his kids, you know, have continued being artists. Yeah, it's just really wonderful that finally, and it usually happens that after someone has died, uh, that their music starts to be played. I just hope that it, it continues. The, the wonderful thing about George Walker is that you have sort of this arc in seeing how he developed as a musician through his compositions. You know, everyone always looks at the lyric for string orchestra And everyone always plays it. It gets played all the time for MLK concerts and whatnot. And uh, but that's just where he was at the very beginning of composing. And you know, the the wonderful thing I think about the CD is that you have the Antiphonies uh, that's earlier, and then you have the lyric, which is. Later, let's call it middle late. <laughs> and then you have the sort of the last pieces uh, that he wrote in uh, the symphonias, number four and five. And especially with uh, the last one, Visions, he started it before the 2015 shooting at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. But that happened while he was writing the piece. And so it's really interesting how, you know, throughout his life, he's still, you know, looking at this horror of racism in this country. And, you know, that event deeply affected him. And uh, it's really interesting, the, the spoken parts that he has in that piece that sort of start midway. Drink! Drink to me! And also, another interesting thing, we didn't do it when we performed it, but there's this sort of visual aspect to it as well, uh, that his friend Frank Schramm, I think he lived nearby, but he was a photographer and filmmaker who created a video, you know, of, of the Atlantic Ocean and photos of the slave trade in Charleston. And I think that if you were to sort of have all of that put together, it makes for a very impactful piece. Drink to me. The piece doesn't really answer questions or make us 
a, a certain statement to, of things, but it sort of leaves it, it leaves it open, all these unanswered questions, because you're looking at history now and through the past, I think through this piece and how he's looking at, at, at racism in this country. I think it's very powerful. I'm wondering what it was like to perform this piece. It was recorded in October of 2021. A lot had happened in this country by that point, including the death of George Floyd. It makes me wonder what was most memorable for you about that performance. I, well, uh, gee, I'm always, well, a bit about me. I, I really, I love learning about little-known composers. I love new music. I find the challenge exciting. And so playing George Walker's music fits all of that for me. Not that he's a little-known composer. To me, he's pretty well-known, I think, in this country, just not played very often. So I'm hoping that in the orchestra doing this CD, that it really brings to light how wonderful a composer he is. And hopefully, more people will start playing his music, and it will really become part of the canon. Is this the first recording of Walker's music that the Cleveland Orchestra has made, or have they made others? I think this is the first. Yeah, this is the first. Because he's such an icon for you, do you wonder why this is the first? Well, it's not that surprising. And it has nothing to do with the Cleveland Orchestra. I think all major orchestras are this way. It's it's about what what people know and who people know. And there's a lot of music out there. There's 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 a lot to sift through and a lot to be aware of. And it's just a matter of you know someone saying, "Hey, you should check this out." which I think is what Mark Williams did for, for our music director. He said, you know, this is great music. I think the time is now to really do this well, to do a recording. And, uh, you know, our music director, Franz Velzermust, he, he listened to the music and was like, wow, this is great. This is, let, let's do this. And so that's why, that's why it happened. But it's a matter of, you know, American music being more sought after. And I think all all orchestras sort of have have been negligent. And Tiffany's was written at the height of the civil rights movement in 1968. And George Walker had seen Martin Luther King Jr. speak that year before King's assassination. In writing this piece, his son Gregory seemed to think that his father was seeking some kind of an oasis. What what I found interesting about the piece is that uh, it was originally written for for Seven Winds Percussion and a Double String Quartet. And uh, that was something he worked on um, the summer of 1966. 
uh, at a composer's conference in Vermont. And then he returned to the McDowell Colony in, in 1968 to make a string orchestra version of Antiphonies. So um, I, I found that to be interesting, sort of, you know, what is this antiphon that's going on? What's, what's the back and forth? That's sort of the, the question that came up in my mind about the piece that, that seemed interesting. The Sinfonia Number no. 4 is called Strands, and Walker wrote that while well, he was kind of under the influence of European traditional composers like Bach and Beethoven and Chopin, Rachmaninoff. But his voice is deeply personal. I'm wondering, how would you describe his voice in that piece in particular? Yeah, Walker is a composer, I think, you know, if you heard something, you could say, oh, I think that's George Walker, because he kind of has a sound, especially the, the last, you know, 20 years. His music just has a sound that it sounds very much like him. He has an opinion and, to me, definitely a sound. The the strands, that's interesting because it sort of refers to the interwoven melodic threads that he has uh, in his music. And uh, he wrote it to be sort of like an overture or an elongated fanfare, so to speak. And he also puts a couple of um, spirituals. And like all things with George Walker, it's not out in the open. You know, it's very much interwoven in the music. There is a Balm and Gilead and, and Roll Jordan. It's very subtle, but it's, you know, but it's there. And, um, yeah, it's interesting because it was um, sort of a celebration of his 90th birthday and a commission by the New Jersey, Cincinnati, and, and National Symphonies. So, um, and that's great because, you know, he, he was at Rutgers for so long and, and so important in, in New Jersey. I'm, I'm glad that... They supported him that way when he was 90. Lilacs for Voice and Orchestra has a pretty fascinating story behind it. It was written to honor the legacy of tenor Roland Hayes, the Black artist who had a very successful career in Europe. And then he returned in 1923 to be the first to perform serious music with a major American orchestra. That orchestra was the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And then they commissioned this piece to honor him. Is, am I getting this all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a commission from Boston uh, to celebrate uh, Roland Hayes, in, uh, and they wanted it for February of 1996. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. He chose a Walt Whitman poem that was written in 1865 after Lincoln was assassinated as kind of, you know, this elegy that contains sort of these three recurring symbols, like the, the lilac, a star, and a bird. And there's sort of musical motives that represent these, these symbols. 
And uh, also, it's kind of funny that, you know, Boston, they wanted an eight-minute piece, a short, you know, a shorter work. And Walker completed it in six weeks, and it was twice as long than they contracted. So um, I I kind of found that to be kind of funny. But also, what's interesting is that when he gave the score uh, to the artistic administrator at at Boston, who was Tony Fogg at that time, he was, you know, kind of looking at several name options. And one of them was melisma because of the embellished vocal part. And uh, before, I guess, they confirmed the name with uh, George Walker. They were starting to advertise it as Melisma. And uh, Walker was like, actually, the name is Lilacs for tenor and orchestra. So they, of course, had to change the name. And the original tenor who was supposed to sing it was Vincent Cole. But I guess as they got closer to the date, he was like, I can't sing this, I guess. <laughs> And they were out of a tenor. And then they engaged Faye Robinson. Uh, I think Walker had to make a few adjustments to the notes to fit her vocal range. And then he changed the name again to Lilacs for Voice and Orchestra. So I thought that was sort of a really interesting backstory to how the, the piece got its name, and, and also why we so often see it with a soprano and not a tenor. There is a beautiful soprano who sings it on this recording. Latonia Moore. Yes. What was that performance like? This happened last March of 2022. Yeah, to me, the the piece, it's very, it's very touching, uh, especially if you know exactly sort of where these, where these fragments, where these symbols are occurring. Uh, it, it sort of tells, tells a story that way. Yeah, I I think it's a wonderful piece. Did you discover... Or I should say, what did you discover about yourself as you were performing these pieces, which I know were done in different live settings, is that correct? And then they were pulled from those concerts to make this recording? Right, right. So I'm wondering what you may have discovered about yourself as you had the opportunity to perform this music by George Walker. I think the first time we did the Antiphonies, we it was six feet apart, one person to a stand <laughs> kind of thing. And, um, you know, that was sort of the new normal with the lockdowns and, you know, orchestras being very creative. How can we produce a product that's at a, at a high level where people are still safe and we don't quite yet have a vaccine? And there's, you know, what what can we do? So... That was sort of the the first time uh, 
And I think in playing that and then being able to come together and play his music the way we're used to, the way it works best, which is, of course, closer so that we can hear and respond to each other well. That was, for me, the most important <laughs> and, and wonderful thing, was sort of this coming back and coming together to be able to, to play. And, of course, it, it was important and meaningful for me to, to play a Black American composer. Because as a Black, you know, violist in a major orchestra, there are not that many of us. We're here and there and far between. And to, to be able to have an African-American tell their story through their words, through their pen, is so meaningful to, to have, to be included in that way. A new recording celebrating the music of George Walker with the Cleveland Orchestra. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher.